Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of How to Write the Future. I'm very excited to bring this interview to you today. A little bit about our podcast. This is a podcast for science fiction and fantasy writers who want to write positive, optimistic futures. And for anyone who cares about the future, because when we envision what is possible, we help make it so. I'm Beth Barani, your host, and with me today is a special guest, Carrie Crusby, a science fiction author, science fiction romance author. And today we're going to dig into science fiction writing, AI, and learning how to write fiction, and who knows where else this conversation will take us. So welcome, Carrie. You and I have known each other for a long time. And please tell us about yourself and anything else you'd like to do to introduce yourself. Now, I'm so excited to be here with you today, Beth. I cannot tell you. Like Beth mentioned, we've known each other for a little while. As a matter of fact, without Beth, I would not be a published author today. I started doing this later in my life, which is fine. I started in my 50s to write, and I'd always known I was going to be a writer. I wrote my first Star Trek episode when I was 11, and I still have it, believe it or not. Is something that I just had always known in the back of my mind that I was going to become a writer. I am an avid reader. My first love was science fiction. I got my first books when I was in my mid-teens. You know, everything from Isaac Asimov to Heinlein to, okay, I'm going to throw Piers Anthony in there. I know he's not really science fiction, but he's so weird. I love him anyway. And then I found my second love in my early 20s, and that's romance. And I love romance. I read romance all the time. I even read romance when I was on my honeymoon, my poor husband, which we've been married for over 40 years, so it's fine. And then when paranormal romance came along, I started reading a lot of that with vampires and werewolves and whatever. Then science fiction romance was born. Oh, my God. I thought, oh, life is wonderful. And so I started reading a lot of those. Some of my favorites is an author called Tracy St. John. Another one is Susan Grant's. There's a couple of things that I kind of don't like. I, I don't like some of the shorter stories that are just and I apologize if this is going to sound snooty, but it's like just an erotic test. Well, I like erotica too, but when I'm reading a story, I want to read a story, not just the sex scenes, which I do enjoy those as well. My first book is called An Alien Exchange. And what it was is I got tired of all these Earth women being kidnapped and finding aliens. And immediately they all just bond and have sex everywhere and blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, well, that's just kind of silly. I'm going to make it so that these women who read science fiction romance get offered to join an alien exchange program to where they can meet the alien mate of their dreams because everything they read about was actual in real life. And so that some of the aliens in the exchange program, if you read science fiction romance, you would have recognized them. But I have to tell you, though, even though I was an avid reader for decades, when I first started writing, no offense, it was crap. And without Beth and the school that I was a part of for at least a couple of years, I would never have been able to get off the ground. Because you get arrogant and you think, well, I've read all this and I know exactly what I'm doing. No, you don't. You don't know anything what you're doing. You have to take it seriously. And I love the way that her and the group were able to not only give criticism, but it was constructive criticism given with love so that it was crouched in ways to help and to give an ability to find your way and to find your own voice. I mean, I found my brand with Beth. My brand is I'm a writer of otherworldly romantic adventures because I want adventures in my stories too. So I want to give a shout out to Beth for that. And I want to say thank you very much from the bottom of my heart. 
You're so, so welcome, Carrie. And love hearing your story and your trajectory and how now here you are, a science fiction romance writer who you've combined two of your favorite loves, science fiction and romance. And I love, too, how this subgenre within romance has really blossomed. I've watched it blossom over the last 20 years and also have tried my hand at it. Now I'm writing science fiction mysteries with a strong romantic Mm -hmm. subplot. I love pulling romance in. I have some steamy scenes in there. There, but I've chosen and realized that I'm really a mystery writer. I really am an adventure writer, but I also love mystery. So we're using that as our plot trajectory. Now, I've done a few episodes on chat GPT, and I will definitely link those in our show notes. And you have been playing with AI. That's one of the reasons why I instigated this interview, because I saw what you were doing and I thought, this is awesome. I want to show other writers the ways that we can use AI as a tool or I should say ChatGPT and the other large language models and the image modeling tools that are out there. And so if you could tell us, walk us through a little bit of the ways that you use these tools inside of your creative process so that readers and who are mostly writers, actually, I should say listeners, are mostly writers, can get a sense of how these tools, and I hate to call them AI because it's not intelligence, it's really just really, really smart tools. It's like the way we use Microsoft Word, but like on steroids. I'm very excited to talk about this. I call it the stool, the three-legged stool of AI right now. I use ChatGPT and I use MidJourney for pictures and I use PseudoWrite. PseudoWrite is similar to ChatGPT. What I like best about it, it was created by science fiction writers and it's mostly for science fiction writers. But let me go back and let me tell you how I do this. I initially, when I'm writing, which I am in the middle of creating a new series right now, and I use Scrivener. And what I like about Scrivener is every scene that I put in, I can put a picture there. Well, I can't draw a straight line to save my life. But I discovered Midjourney. Woohoo! I love Midjourney. It's so awesome. Except for it doesn't take all my prompts very well. So I'm still learning how to do it. I also use that for a couple of reasons other than just for my own pleasure. I use it for my marketing. And the way that I use it for my marketing is in when I'm sending something out on social media, if I've created an image in Midjourney about knowing characters or an alien planet or whatever it is, I can put that out on social media and say, this is what I'm writing or in my newsletter or whatever it is. It gives me another tool to utilize that I just love to do. And I want to get into going back into Pinterest, but I haven't had a chance to yet because I have tons of stuff that I want to do there. And what that does, because I'm a visual person, is it gives me, I don't know, it lifts me up and says, oh, yeah, that looks cool. Now, Midjourney isn't perfect, and I'm still learning how to do the proper prompts. And there is a cost for Midjourney, just so everybody knows that I think it's 10 or $20 a month. I can't remember now. Pseudowrite is the same thing. I'll tell you why I use all three. I use ChatGPT too, but right now I don't pay for it. I just use the freebie. I probably will eventually go and pay for it. But let me tell you the reason, the difference between Pseudowrite and ChatGPT for me. Pseudowrite, they have a new program in there that can create a whole new plot line for you. I haven't been able to utilize that yet. So what I use it for is when I'm in the middle of a scene, for instance, and I'm not exactly sure where I want it to go or what I want it to look like, I will put in there, describe for me, and I'll type in what the scene is going to look like, and it comes up with stuff. Now, is everything perfect? No. And I would never 
ever tell somebody to use either ChatGPT or Pseudorite for a book. Because if you ever read some of this stuff, it's like a very foundation of something that you're going to have to fix because you want to put your own voice into it. You want to put your own inflections into it. It can't do that. Now, what I use ChatGPT for mostly, and I'm cheating, I do it a lot for marketing. Here's my blurb. Give me five tweets for mm-hmm. this blurb. Or I'll give it something else that I've written and I'll say, what should my email subject line be for mm-hmm. this? You can use ChatGPT. Like sometimes I will say, okay, I have to come up with an alien creature, which I did have them do this. And I love what they came up with. That is, what would their motive be if they had a human woman. And it gave me five different um, types of what they would do with humans. What I'm going with right now in the current book that I'm writing is a very logical species that wants to see how a woman would react in certain situations. Okay. And it gave me five different situations. So I picked three of them and I said, how would she react in this? And it gives me more ideas. Mm-hmm. The best thing about having chat GPT or Sudorite is like I have an assistant next to me. I can say something like, well, how does this sound? Or if I wanted it to look like this, what should I do? Or whatever. It's like having somebody helping you. Like having a Beth. Beth, read this. Don't you think you could make it better for me? And the tool will give you a version, right? And then right. it sounds like you take what it offers you, either PseudoWrite or ChatGPT. You take it, you massage it, it gives you ideas, it inspires you, it gives you direction or some things to try. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. And I would never, like if I say, and I know I've heard people say this, well, I want you to write me a science fiction romance book of 50,000 words and go for it. No, if you read the stuff that this thing gives you back, no. Yeah, it's so boring. It lacks a lot. It lacks a lot. It yes, to- it does. Yeah, it does. I mean, I know it's going to be more sophisticated as time goes on. I'm still excited about that, too, because eventually you're going to be able to say, well, here's my voice in this particular book. Write this scene in my voice. And see what it comes up with. I've played with that. And that's what one of my previous episodes is about, taking an action and writing it. I played with writing it in different voices or having ChatGPT write it in the voice of Lewis Carroll or in the voice of Arthur C. Clarke or different voices, although I didn't choose him. Or, you know, rhyme this like Dr. Seuss or write Mm -hmm. it like Butcher. And then I had it write it like me because I had in a previous time had it analyze my style. And I said, write it in the style of Beth. And I quoted how it described my style. And it did a pretty decent job, not full on, but it was helpful because I was also investigating it as a tool maybe for editing. Mm-hmm. Like here's the clunky scene, rewrite it in the style of, you know, and trying to replicate my voice just to help me give me ideas. And not that I would use the final version of what it spits out, obviously. Right. And unfortunately, I don't have the knowledge to recommend anything under copyright. Everything that I've heard say, try to avoid, even when I'm in mid-journey, I can't say make so-and-so look like Sean Connery or whatever it is that I want them to do. But there's a way around that, that you would just describe things in a better atmosphere rather than using somebody's name. So I don't want to get into the habit of saying, I want to write like Beth Ronnie when I'm not Beth Ronnie because I want my own voice. Exactly. But Some people out there are going to do that. And I think we have to be aware as writers that, you know, there's always bad actors out there no matter what we do. Absolutely. I don't want to be afraid of it. My goal this year is to keep on top of what's termed the AI. Mm -hmm. I'm taking classes. I'm watching podcasts. I, I do whatever I can to learn more about the situation. There is... When I do Mid Journey, I found a gentleman by the name of, I don't know if you want somebody's name, 
church. His name is, he does a lot of podcasts and he's just now starting to do classes on considering taking his, his name is Christian Harding or something like that. We'll put resources in the show notes on how to access MidJourney, any resource you want to recommend. You also wrote an article for our blog, Writer's Fun Zone. We'll include a link to that, link, of course, to ChatGBT and to PseudoWrite. I love that you also touched on some of the challenges or issues that could come up and to be aware of with these tools. What for you have you noticed besides wanting to stay away from copyrighted references when you ask it to do images? Is there anything that you're trying to stay away from or any pitfalls that you might have fallen into? I just know that some of the expectations that folks may have could be unrealistic. Like you and I discussed, we want it to be like a tool. I look at it as a tool, just like I do pro writing aid, you know, when we do Grammarly or something to that effect, because those are all AIs. When you go into Google search, you're using an AI, whether you realize it or not. So you just have to be cautious about what it is that your expectations are. I'm experimenting more. Like I told you before, I'll go on and say, well, this is what I want this scene to do. And sometimes it'll give me something really good, but I still have to go and correct everything. Or it'll give me an idea that I never thought of, which he did for me this morning. And now I'm going to go in that little direction more so than I thought. I'm just open-minded about the AI. I just have to keep track of everything that's going on, too. You don't want to just fall into some kind of, I don't know, rabbit hole, I guess. I want to underscore how cool it is that you're using ChatGPT for, you know, take this blurb and now write some tweets. It really can give us a leg up in our marketing. And then do you massage those tweets, change them a little bit? Yeah, I've done that. Very rarely do I take exactly what it says. One of the things I noticed, though, like when I was asking for titles for my blogs, for instance, it gives me a a long blog. But when I put that blog on my website, for instance, and I put the same title on there, it likes it. But if I take some of the words off, my website tells me that it's too short. So I guess that's just something I recently learned. I didn't know that my blog title should be so long. Yeah. I mean, that's SEO, a search engine optimization thing. Mm -hmm. those, Mm -hmm. Those rules are always changing too. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Like the one article that you're talking about is how AI can help strengthen your writing. That was given to me by ChatGPT. I did massage it at a touch, but I liked it that way. And it, even though my website said it was too short, but I didn't care because I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's something to be aware of about the copyright issues with ChatGPT specifically in that anything it spits out technically doesn't belong to us. Have you heard that? I have heard that, but I've also heard that would never have been created, such as even the images of Midjourney, for instance, unless you had given it that prompt. So because we prompt that, that's the other part of the argument, we've really created that or helped to create or bring it into being because it never would have happened if we wouldn't have done that. So that's why there's two thoughts about that. Yeah, I'll have to do some more research and also bring on, I have a literary lawyer who writes for the blog. I might see if she wants to be a part of the conversation too about this because I'm very curious. And that's why I also always counsel people to change it a little bit, never take it verbatim, always tweak it just a little or a lot. Well, and then the other concern is just because it works in America, does that mean it's going to work in Europe or Asia or South America? Don't know. That's why the copyright situation is fluid right now. America has no idea what they're going to do just yet. Right, right. Yeah. Keep an eye on that. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to check in about that later. 
Cool. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with us about these tools or even a wish list for what kind of tools you wish? How would you like them to evolve to help you better? Well, I would love if Midjourney would know when I asked for a green lady with pink hair and four arms that they would give me that. It has the hardest. I have aliens, for gosh sakes. And I'll even put like an alien in there. And I will say, well, okay, you can't give me a realistic picture, so I'll try a comic book picture. Well, that doesn't work either. It has yet to give me four arms. I'm really upset about that. I have a couple of, they're called the Alliance of Assassins. And there are two women that run it. And I say that they have four arms and two legs. One of them is Violet and has purple hair. She's a real badass. Her name is Suzuki. And then there's her sister who looks like an anime character. She's still got the four arms, but she's all pink. And she wears a schoolgirl dress and she looks like a Japanese animation. Mm -hmm. But it won't do that. It has a really hard time with different types of skin tone. You'd think with all of the romance novels out there, because we all have buff aliens on the covers, that if I say I want a green alien, it gives me a green alien. No, it doesn't do that. Wow. And you have to be really careful on how you word certain things. Like I can't use the word breasts. I have a thing called a sex bot. Mm-hmm. Well, they have three breasts. It did like that. So my pictures of my sex box only have two. So good journey, get better. Yeah. I haven't played with it at all, so I can't speak to that, but I'm glad that you can bring that know-how to everyone. Cool. And I understand you're working on a new series. Do you want to tell the readers a little bit about that? What I've done right now, I actually published my 10th book in July. Congratulations. I'm very excited. So for the first time, I did something different with this one. First of all, it's really a novella. It's a short story. And it's taking three characters that were introduced in my last series. And it's a spinoff to them. And it's my first writing of a male, male, and female. And they're all aliens. There's not a human in sight in this book. So that one's called Quaychek's Pod. And I'm just very excited about them. And, you know, of course, Midjourney didn't want to make Quaychek for me, who's purple and has horns. What I've done with my series, like the first series that I wrote, there was four books in it. The next series I wrote, which had now has the six, I ended that series by tying it into the first series. So what I've done now, the new series is called Alien Legacy Brotherhood. And I'm taking some of the characters from the last series and I'm mixing it with the people from the first series and the second series. I love how you're saying that. In this current series you're working on, you've got characters that you're mixing, that you're taking from the first and the second series are now showing up in the third series. Your current series sounds wonderful, and I'm so glad to hear that your 10th just came out this July. That's awesome. So congratulations with that. Yeah. And I love how you are creating these standalone series, but then they're also tied in. Sounds like globally it's in the same world. Right. Yeah. And that's the main thing that I want to do is I want to keep it in the same galaxy so I don't have to reinvent everything all the time. And with my genre, I know that people like series. I don't want to do a forever series like a lot of series are like 19, 20 books. I don't want to do that. Yeah. Like I said, my first series really ended in a trilogy, but then I had another book that was attached to it. And this last series had five books. And I actually had that short story that just released. I had two more short stories that are pertaining to the same thing, they will be released. I'm spacing them out so that I can have more bang for my buck because they're completed. Yeah. And then I'll hopefully be able to release the new first book on the first series in March. So I have a year schedule that I'm working on. It's awesome. So as we wrap up, how can people find your books and how can they learn more about the 
otherworldly romantic adventures that you're writing. Well, I appreciate that. I just recently went wide. I was in Kindle Unlimited for several years, and I would suggest that to anybody who's starting out so that you can get a feel for how things go. But I wanted to go wide. And the best place to look for me is on my website, which is carriecrenthby.com. That's great. I'm not selling direct yet. I'm thinking about it. So am I. Actually, I have a portal. So for people who are just thinking about publishing, when Carrie talks about going wide, what she means is her books are available on all the vendors, not just Amazon, but Barnes & Noble, Apple, Kobo, Books A Million, all the vendors. Great. And also libraries? Yes. Yes. Because I went on to draft to digital for everything that's not on Amazon, because you can always find me on Amazon. The other thing I want to crow about, really, because I, I know you'll be excited. I'm actually in a bookstore now. Great. It's a local bookstore called the Owl Bookstore. I'm so excited. I just went there last week and gave her my book. So we're going to see how that goes. And that's going to be on a commission-like basis because she's local and I live in a very small town. So we'll see. Stepping my foot in there. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So, so great. Well, Carrie, thank you so much for being a guest on my podcast on how to write the future. And just one more question I like to ask everybody. If you had any advice for anybody who wants to write futuristic stories, what is the one piece of advice that you would give folks? To me, when you're writing anything with science fiction, the best way to present that is remembering your human foundation. And I want to give you just three areas that I think are better to create a believable alien society. Know the nature of that alien civilization. Like, are they hunter-gatherers? Are they a developed culture? Also know the psychology of those aliens. What type of folks are they? I mean, there's a big difference between Vulcans and Klingon. And then lastly, understand how did they use their technology and culture? Let's look at Avatar. They're technically don't appear to be advanced, but they really are, but in a different way. So just keep in mind when you're creating these alien societies that you want it to be something that looks at our society as a whole and how we handle things. And to me, those are the best science fiction stories ever. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love that. Well, I just want to say thank you again, Carrie. Appreciate the opportunity. Like I said, this is my first podcast and you've been so good to me. Thank you. You're so welcome. You did great. You did great. And everybody, please check out Carrie's work at CarrieCrespy.com. And thank you so much, Carrie. I look forward to having you back. Thanks, Beth. Thanks for listening, everyone. Please like, subscribe, and, you know, please share with the writers in your life who are writing science fiction and fantasy and want to create positive, optimistic futures. Because when we vision what is possible, we help make it so. If you have any questions you would like me to feature on an upcoming episode of How to Write the Future, please write me. Let me know. I'm on all the socials. I have a contact form on my website, howtowritethefuture.com. Your question can be featured on an upcoming episode. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to my podcast. Your interest and feedback is so inspiring to me and helps me know that I'm helping you in some small way. So write long and prosper. 